With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And here we are with the Lorne Malvo of diseases keeping us all at home. I'm Daria. Actually, I'm Jane. I still <laughs> messed this up, and we're at the end of the first season. Joining me is my partner, Daria. I am Jane. Well, it's the end of the world, so you can change names. It's totally fine. No one will fault you. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. And, you know, uh, us trans folk are always trying to tell cis people, like, hey, you can change your name, too, if you want to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just more freedoms for people. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. We are here at the end of season one of Fargo, which means we have two to go and maybe a third if it ever happens. Yeah. What a disappointment. I really hope. Are they not going to do it now? If it's, I mean, they were finished with it, right? Is season four really going to come out? I, I, I think it'll come out. Oh, but, you just think uh, we I might be they... dead by then is what you're saying. No, no, it, it, the uh, the premiere got postponed because of this. Oh. I guess there was probably some post production work they don't quite have done. God damn it! Just they're essential. They need to be essential workers and get it done. So I don't That's care right. about a premiere. I just need it streamed to my home where I'm by myself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we've been waiting three years for this. Yeah, get on it. <laughs> exactly. Hey, maybe maybe it'll be already out by the time you hear this, and this could be all dated. Could so be. that's why we don't do topical conversations. Exactly. So, yep. Episode 10, everything wraps up. This episode is called Morton's Fork. And from here, we will end up going back to 1979, but we'll get into that once we get into season two, but we're going to hear plenty of allusions to it. Uh, so overall... Uh, Reviewing the first season, how did you feel about it? I mean, I liked it more than I remembered liking it, honestly. Like, when I when I first kind of became a watcher of Fargo, it was, I think, after the second season had come out. So I did the first season and loved it, and then just watched the second season and loved that. Kind of forgot about the first season for a while until I went back and rewatched it. But I, re- I didn't remember liking it as much as I had. Um, so rewatching it and looking for all these connections and smaller things made me actually enjoy it a lot more i just i i still don't think it's as great as season two but still excellent love the characters um yeah i think it was great 
Definitely. Uh, like I said, I don't like it as much as the next two seasons, but without this season, the other two wouldn't be possible or make sense. Right. So uh, this one sort of provides the foundation for getting into the good stuff. We'll call it an act one, if you will. Sure. Uh, so let's get into this episode. Uh, we start with seeing uh, Lester's heavy breathing with brief shots of a mountain, a frozen lake, and a hole in the ice, which sounds like a riddle that Key and Peel would be saying if they were still alive. <laughs> And uh, the episode title itself uh, has multiple connections. Uh, there's an example. Uh, well, I guess we'll get into the episode title just so I can explain this here. Mm -hmm. um, a Morton's Fork is a type of false dilemma in which contradictory observations lead to the same conclusion. It is said to have originated with collecting of taxes by John Morton. The earliest blah, 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 blah. Uh, under, under Henry VII, John Morton was made Archbishop of Canterbury in 1486 and Lord Chancellor in 1487. He raised taxation funds for his king by holding that someone living modestly must be saving money and therefore could afford taxes, whereas someone living extravagantly obviously was rich and could therefore afford taxes. Uh, Morton's Fork may have been invented by another one of Henry's supporters, Richard Fox. Another example of Morton's Fork is a swim test for witchcraft that was performed in the early modern period, uh, which this may sound a bit familiar. A suspected witch was tied up and thrown into the water. If they floated, it was considered to be proof of witchery. If the suspect sank and drowned, they were deemed innocent. Either way, the outcome was the same. The test subject died. I had to take that test um, so many times. I can't even tell you. And I've, I've passed <laughs> it every single time. I don't know how, but... Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> just made a wood. Just made a wood. Yep. Uh, Morton's Fork Coup is a maneuver in the game of bridge uh, that uses the principle of Morton's Fork. Uh, an episode. Uh, yeah, of course, we know an episode <laughs> is titled Fargo. Uh, it's also mentioned in NCIS LA uh, with the episode title being Fish Out of Water. Yes, I and, noticed that uh, right away. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, in the movie Princess Bride, uh, the Vizzini employs this fallacy during the Iocane powder battle of wits. So uh, just to put this back into context, um, the witchcraft is basically what he did to his second wife. Mm -hmm. And it's also a bridge maneuver, which is a connection to season three. Oh, wow. Um, so, oh, see, I didn't even think of any of that. Cool. Plus the connection to fish mm -hmm. couldn't help it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, we, we see... We see Lester sitting in the parking lot. Somehow he didn't get seen by Malvo. And he finally goes into the office and sees the blood on the white carpet, which another uh, piece of color theory and symbolism that we've seen. Mm -hmm. um, he flashes back to the Malvo killing while in the safe and puts his car keys in Linda's hands. Uh, Lester's conscience, which we have established is the washing machine noise, just vaguely starts to come back. And that's something I never would have noticed had you not pointed it out to me. Um, let's see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got nothing. Good observation. <laughs> well, you had something about the white feathers. I just, I think, you know, when they, when you see that shot of her laying on the floor and there's the pile of blood and it's kind of all gooey and then you've got the white either, I don't know if it's fluff or I think it is feathers because it establishes at some point later that it's actually feathers. Um, but them just sitting on top of the blood like that gave me that sacrificial lamb visualization. Like, you know, I, I think we talked about last episode when you're getting into all of the 
animal metaphors, it really felt like Linda was the sacrificial lamb for Lester. And now when this episode opens up, it just reinforces that when you see those kind of pure white feathers just sitting on top of the blood, not soaked in blood, but just, yeah, it's creepy and gross, but that's what it made me think of. Poor Linda. Yeah. And yeah, once again, <laughs> Poor Linda. Uh, the shot of the shot of Linda in this episode is the exact shot of a lot of the Sioux Falls victims in episode 10 of season two, uh, sort of, you know, the, the corpse on the ground and they start with looking over the body from the feet toward and feet and up, you know, uh, it's, it's nearly identical to, uh, to that, but wow. we'll, we'll get there. Um, yeah, just another one of those things. It's like, I've seen this shot before. And then it's like, oh, yeah, except it's like 12 people yeah. <laughs> uh, flashing all over them. Uh, so Lester is back in his scheming ways, but he's clearly uh, not as confident as he was just a few days ago. Mm-hmm. And he goes over to lose and orders for both he and his wife. You can see immediately he's trying to, uh, s- s- you know, just establish a cover story. Mm-hmm. And he passes when he... he decides to let him know yeah go into the bathroom uh, i love lou's respond yeah free with the meal <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um and when he comes in uh, he totally just overdoes it with the whole grilled cheese thing and yeah linda dropped me off he has to make sure to point it out a few times so he's just he's not very good at this no and um so yeah, he he does the cover. He pretends to go to the bathroom and goes outside and uh, calls the non-emergency number from a payphone, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure what that's about, but you know, he's at least he's calling after hearing gunshots, since nobody else can seem to do that in this universe. True. And yeah, but didn't Lou and, hear it? Like, come on, Lou. Right. Yeah, that's that's weird. You, you know, right being a cop and also someone. Yeah. Um, or I guess Malvo probably had a silencer, so I probably didn't hear anything. And Lester's just covering his tracks, maybe. I suppose. Um, also, uh, kids, a payphone <laughs> is a place that we used to use to uh, pretend we were making a phone call in order to buy weed. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was the function of them. Or when you were a more innocent child like me, uh, you called from them to get your mom to come pick you up from the mall. So you really had to make sure that you saved a quarter after you were hanging out with your friends and, you know, hanging out with older boys and doing things you shouldn't have been so that you could call your mom so she could come pick you up at 10 o'clock at night, which as a mom now thinking back, fuck that. I'm not driving anywhere at 10 o'clock at night to pick my child up, but I had a better mom than I am. So, yeah. And, um, and so Lester repeats the same story he did and lose lose on to something like he, he knows something's up, but he can't quite place it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when Lou decides to go, hey, uh, you know, someone was looking for you <laughs> and, uh, you know, d- didn't much like his demeanor. <laughs> uh, even a- after all his years of, of being a cop, he just hasn't lost his intuition uh, even though, as we learned, Betsy was the better detective. And uh, if Betsy was there, I think she'd be right along with Molly going, yeah, this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure, Lou, you know, Lester's just so obvious about it, making sure to point out little things that nobody would care about that I'm sure that that makes him think a little bit. I did notice one minor inconsistency, because this is all I've been noticing now as I rewatch everything. Um 
Lester asks Lou for a beer. He said, you know, he'd like a beer to drink, and Lou just tells him, excuse me, Lou tells him it's a family place, so they don't have beer. But earlier in the season, they made a point to show Lou's menu behind him on the wall, and he had beer on the menu, because I remember at the time pointing it out, saying how unrealistic it was that a small family diner would serve beer. It's just not something that would happen, so... Don't know if that's just a minor inconsistency thing or if it's intentional somehow and Lou just didn't want to give Lester a beer. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Lester realizes that he gave his dead wife the tickets, which I guess he can't print again because it's 2006. Or maybe she had the passport. I don't know. Uh, it It just seemed weird that, like, all of a sudden... That was what he thought of, like, eh, my wife's dead, but oh shit, the passport. <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, if he <clears throat> he knows somebody looking at that would go, oh, why was she going to Mexico and why are there two tickets? But still, he doesn't strike me as bright enough to think of that sort of thing ahead of time. I don't know. He's just an all-around bad criminal. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, he he's quickly losing his confidence and his efficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, his scheming is starting to catch up with him. Yep. Um, so then we get Molly, Gus, and Greta watching Deal or No Deal, uh, discussing the options. And uh, Molly gets a call about someone killing the second Mrs. Nygaard. <laughs> what a way to put yeah. it. Um, uh, finally, we get the opening, and Lester tries to get the... Uh, he He runs in and pretends to be upset, and it's clearly just a scheme to try to get the stuff from Linda's dead body to, quote-unquote, say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and when uh, when Molly shows up on scene, there's a great exchange. Bill's just like, you didn't have to come. And Molly goes, now we both know that's not true. Like, she's just <laughs> done with him. Um, he's And Lester's just such a snake. Uh, and also a callback to the first episode, uh, Bill says he won't look at the bodies too close, uh, because we learned he can't handle it. And he says, uh, he'll throw up if Lester does. Um, so yeah, we're, we're kind of tying it all together. And interestingly, uh, Lester says, ah, geez, which is the same thing he said when he killed his first Mm, wife. Of course he does. It's, it's really an appropriate phrase for anything that's happening in your life at all. So covers everything. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Lester feigns emotion about putting the pieces together about Linda wearing his coat. Uh, he's such a shit. Uh, ev- after everything, Bill is just so willing to give him as much time as he needs, mm-hmm. uh, despite Molly saying no. Like, uh, Bill just cannot put together that Lester could possibly be behind all of this. No, and his fake crying is just, it's very cringeworthy. And you can see as he's crying, there's clearly no tears coming down. Like, it's just... Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> just watch it going, really, Lester? You're just... It, it's so cringeworthy. I can't... Such a dick. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, meanwhile, at uh, Malvo's honeymoon cabin, uh, a wolf is at the head of the chimney, which will come into play, and the police radio he got before monitors activity. Um, Malvo makes beans like Peggy does in season two for Dodd mm-hmm. in a cabin. And, um, they're similar looking cabins are, huh? too. Sorry to butt in, but I was, as I was watching it, I thought this cabin and the cabin in second two or season two, to me, they look similar from the exterior and they're, they seem to be a similar size on the interior. They're just very 
very reminiscent of each other. Yeah. And um, I'm pretty sure it's a connection, of course, uh, to season two, Mm -hmm. but uh, uh, it, and we'll have a similar result with the certain things that happened in season two. Um, Key and Peele are at the police station and they have a conversation about being awake versus being in a dream. So another paradox. And uh, I believe it's uh, Peele who's just like, do you just say everything that comes to your head? (laughs) Well, I noticed, you know, I know we talked about this last episode, but Key is the one who is talking about being in a dream and thinks he's in a dream and is kind of obsessed with that idea. And Peel is the one who's more into realism and reality and pointing out that, you know, no, this, this is reality. And Key's just off kind of in, in La La Land. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Bill uselessly explained what, ha- what happened. And uh, Lou comes in to reveal he was suspicious of Malvo looking for Lester earlier. Uh, Molly shows Lou the picture while he's describing uh, what Malva looked like. And Lou doesn't see it at first unless he changes his whole, oh, but maybe. <laughs> and then Lou describes a paradox. It's, uh, you know, it might be him, but it might not. So, mm-hmm. you know, that'll come into play a lot in season three. Right. Uh, season three is just all about uh, contradictory states of being. Yeah. And uh, I, I just got to say, uh, oh, well, first, uh, uh, Molly asks him to call home and Lou's just like, no, I'm going to go sit on the front porch and protect my <laughs> granddaughter. And Lou's just so badass. Like really Patrick is. Wilson does an amazing job next season of bringing the younger version of him to life. Yeah. And even in his old age, he's just like, oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Uh, so then uh, Malvo breaks into one of the cars. Uh, somehow nobody's looking or watching or there's no car <laughs> alarm or whatever. <laughs> it's just the FBI mm-hmm. and the uh, police department front seems to look a lot different than it was. Uh, maybe that, maybe that it was just cause it was always in the dark. I don't know. But um, then Lester has bl- brief flashbacks to the elevator scene while waiting in the interrogation room and Bill and Molly come in with key and peel. Uh, Lester at first tries to appeal to Bill, but he breaks immediately with more people. He hasn't yet manipulated. Um, and Bill finally holds Lester's feet to the fire and Molly tells him just point blank, he's not going to stop. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed um, while he's having that flashback between, you know, he's flashing back to the elevator while he's sitting in the police station. And I just noticed that Malvo in the flashbacks, when he's in the elevator, what he's wearing is a black, um, like a black dress shirt, button down shirt with a silver sports jacket over the top of it, kind of a silver gray I guess suit jacket um and that's almost exactly what Lester's wearing as he's sitting in the police station it's you know the shirt the collar's a little different um so it's not identical but it's they're wearing a very very similar outfit in this situation mm-hmm. um yeah I was just looking at my notes here I at one point Molly refers to Melvo as maybe not even a man which again that whole supernatural thing and animals. And maybe that's why nobody saw him break into a police car. He's, he's made a magic. He's got magic skills. Yeah. He's supernatural. And uh, you, you can see uh, Lester just finally starting to grasp the gravity of the situation. Like it's, it seems to just now be hitting him how much he fucked up and how much shit he's in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so, 
So then uh, outside Molly's house, uh, Lou is waiting with a shotgun while tying knots, which is something we'll see again. Uh, Lou is the grandpa everybody deserves. I think we can all agree totally. on that. Yep. Um, uh, Lou lets Gus know that Malvo might be back and just pretty much summarizes the plot. Uh, Gus grows a spine for the first time and leaves Lou in charge of Greta. And similar to how Lester got a spine eventually from Malvo, so did Gus. Yeah. Like it, it, it's uh, Gus and Lester are kind of the parallel characters of this whole season. Like their arc is similar. It's just the 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 bending of justice, so to speak, uh, goes in Gus's direction. Yeah, that makes sense. He's just he's got more of a conscience than Lester does. His conscience stays intact. Mm hmm. Um, so then we see Molly uh, leading the meeting about trying to find him, and Knutson just still can't help but mansplain <laughs> shit to her. Um, and Molly says uh, she'll be out there with them, but Gus throws down an ultimatum to keep her at the office. And Gus demands that she stay there safe, not until he's found, but until he's dead. Yeah. And like I said, this is the first time Gus has a spine about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I... I just noted that I, you know, normally men giving women ultimatums just makes me want to vomit. But in this case, I really think Gus is 100% right. And Molly is the one being ridiculous. You know, she's almost full term pregnant. She almost is going to be more of a hindrance than a help at this point. She needs to take care of herself. And she, you know, when you're when you're that pregnant, you're you can't walk like you normally do your your whole body's just kind of off its game and gus is right to want her to stay there and not put you know there's plenty of officers going out to deal with it so yeah i think i think molly's being ridiculous on this one wanting to go out and gus is right i did notice that i think while he's holding the phone maybe and at least at one other point in the scene you don't necessarily get a close-up but it looks like they made a point to show their wedding rings, at least Gus's wedding ring, like just the way his hand mm-hmm. is. Um, <clears throat> I know when later on in the episode, when they hug each other, you can see both their wedding rings. I just, I don't know. They kind of made it a point to show those hands while they're having those conversations. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Gus stops to avoid hitting a wolf in the road, uh, s- symbolic and, uh, leads him right to the cabin where Malvo's red BMW is, and maybe we're starting to get some supernatural intervention uh, against Malvo here. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gus pulls out his flip phone, <laughs> but instead pulls around the corner and waits till he leaves and then goes inside the cabin. And I, I just have to once again say, Gus had the season-long storyline with Malvo that actually involved interacting with him and being affected by him uh, I, I understand that once again, that, you know, uh, there weren't very many prominently featured female characters in this season, mm-hmm. but just in a sense of storyline, Molly was trying to track him down, but she had more of the storyline with Lester. Yeah. Uh, Gus is the one who gets punked out by Malvo in, in episode one, took shit for not arresting him, arrested him and then took shit for arresting the wrong guy had the riddle, had him followed to his house, nearly confronted him in the blizzard, and saw him passing on the side of the road. So, you know, when you add all those pieces together in a completely objective point of view, it only makes sense that Gus is the one who tracks him down, because that's 
the one who had the most interaction with him. Uh, Molly's police work leads to Lester getting in trouble, but it makes sense to me that Gus is the one who ends up finding Malvo. Well, yeah, it, when you put it that way, like, Molly still has her own, even though she's looking for Malvo, Lester is her nemesis through this whole thing, not necessarily Malvo. She's trying to convince people that Lester is the one that's at fault when nobody's believing her. And so, yeah, I guess it makes more sense that she's going to tie up that storyline and not not the Malvo storyline. Right. And uh, I feel like the gender issues are greatly improved upon <clears throat> in the next two seasons. Oh, so we'll have a totally a gr- great many more uh, awesome female characters to talk about. Mm-hmm. And uh, Molly catches Bill up on the entire situation and Bill is just forlorn. Uh, he says he's hanging it up after this. Finally, uh, you know, he says he doesn't got the stomach for it and he never did. But, it you know, ties the storyline together <clears throat> and... Bill just invokes the same Norman Rockwell stuff that Gus imagined from being a postman. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bill just succumbs to mean world syndrome Mm -hmm. because of his unquiet mind. And I'm just like, man, Bill, it sucks when you actually have to do your job for a change. I just don't know how Bill made it this far. Like he just now figured out that this is not the job for him. Really? It's how many decades has he been doing this? Yeah. Yeah, I did have to disagree with you on the stack of pancakes and V8, because I don't know if this is a Minnesota thing or not, or if this is just a my generation thing. But as a kid, our grandma would take us out to breakfast almost every Saturday. My mom was a waitress, and so my grandmother would be watching us. It's a whole long story. But whenever we would go out to eat, she would get me tomato juice with breakfast, which isn't really a thing you see all over anymore. But I just remember as a kid, that was my favorite thing, tomato juice, like with pancakes. And it, it almost sounds disgusting looking back on it, but I don't know. Maybe it's, a, I still like V8 juice and some well, restaurants keep in mind that- you'll go to and they still have it. I don't know. Keep in mind, I'm allergic to tomatoes. Oh, well, so. for you, you pr- should probably avoid it then. That's totally fair. Yeah. If you recall that one time we were both uh, recording in the AM950 studio, oh, uh, yes. Maddie had that uh, glass of tomato oh, juice God. or whatever it was, and I actually couldn't sit near her just because even the smell was starting to make me sick. Yeah, that was condensed tomato soup, which is disgusting if it's cold. So, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Tomato soup or tomato juice. I would advocate to anybody. It's delicious. Go get a V8 and it's cold, but you probably should stay away from it. So, yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Especially now, because mm-hmm. I probably won't be able to go to the doctor with an allergic reaction. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, once again, possibly dated material. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so Malvo fakes being an FBI agent because he just gets away with everything. And the secretary just once again gives away too much info, which... God, everybody's so inept at their jobs. They're just like, oh, you just called the FBI. Are you trying to reach uh, this person or this person? Mm-hmm. Like, because you just give away the names of FBI agents, I guess. Um, he then uses that info to call the FBI and cancel the backup that Key and Peel ordered uh, because they're inept too and just don't give a shit. Like, uh, these these cops are like the the cops in Home Alone. They're mm-hmm. just like. Oh, God, there's possibly a minor white child at home. Do we really have to do anything? Like, I, that's that's the vibe I got from them. Yeah, we better just sit one out. Uh, somewhat related story, but our local police department, uh, which would be the Brainerd Police Department... 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They, I think it was last year at some point, I brought a a piece of, um, God, it was some kind of hate mail. It was like some very vicious hate mail targeting me specifically. And I, I brought it into the police department and was just like, yeah, this is this concerns me. I don't know who it's from, but you know, I I, I don't know. Maybe someone should look into it. Or, and he was just like, I mean, it doesn't specifically say they're gonna do anything. It's just, I mean, the guy didn't even take me back to his office to talk about it. He just sat there in the lobby reading it, going, I don't know. I mm, yeah, and just kind of really didn't do anything about it. So. Cops don't get much action in small towns, and I think they get surprised when anything does actually happen, and then they don't know what to do. So, yeah. Uh, so I, I just had to make a note. Uh, there was a commercial with a drag queen in it, and I was just so shocked I forgot to write anything else because it's like, holy shit, that happened. When I saw that note, I had to keep rewinding it, going, "What am I missing?" Because I don't have the commercials in Hulu. <laughs> so I thought, is there a commercial on in the background that i'm not seeing and i kept like going back and forth going there what and then i finally went oh god it's okay she saw a commercial on the (laughs) i my only comment for that whole scene was budge and pepper are such bizarre names which is why it's better to call them (laughs) key and peel so Mm -hmm. uh yeah there's a nice deal if you if you're a college student you can get Spotify Premium, Hulu, and Showtime for four ninety nine a month. So nice. uh, I'll deal with the commercials for that price. Well, that's fair. Uh, so then we see Malvo going to a used car lot and uh, finds just a similar looking car to a police vehicle. That that worked out nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, just happened to have one in a, a small town. Uh, it, they chat about it before. Uh, the guy reveals that they're not open. And, uh, of course, this is also the guy who didn't want to buy insurance from Lester in the first episode. Um, He calls calls Shotgun for the test drive, which is interesting given what is going to happen Mm -hmm. with that car. (laughs) And I... It's the worst sign in history. I just have to say that. I don't know if you saw that, but, like, part of the sign is superimposed over a window... I looked for that after I saw the note, and I couldn't figure out which one it was. So maybe it was good enough to trick me. I just yeah kept looking, going, oh, I don't see it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. In the top left, you can clearly see the line of the logo going over a window. Uh, like it's okay. it's it's really bad. But <laughs> I'm I'm just apparently the one who notices shit like I that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, Molly, Molly comes in to let get let Lester go, uh, tells him that the FBI is taking him home, and uh, you know, it's another law of non-contradiction. They're letting him go, but not really. Mm-hmm. And Lester finally just is like, what is it you have against me? And Molly responds with a parable, because Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> and the idea of doing something compassionate for others is completely lost on Lester. 
And uh, interestingly, that parable, I believe, is credited to Gandhi, except it was sandals instead of gloves, but hmm. Minnesota. Yeah. So <laughs> um, Molly says goodbye, which once again, it actually is. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's a nice detail of this show. Like when someone says goodbye and it's final, like it al- almost always is. Hmm. And there's a lot of moments of irony like that. I have not noticed that. That's cool. Yeah, I just, again, I wrote nothing. You covered these scenes so well that I had nothing to add to them. <laughs> so I did just keep writing nothing. I totally agree with everything. Yep. Just need your uh, color commentary, exactly. of course. Yep, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> uh, so then the Lester and the uh, Key and Peele, uh, they, get a sm- they get a slow motion walk. Because <laughs> I guess they're trying to convince us they're badass or something. Mm-hmm. And the totally not suspicious car following them just gets no mind. Um, the snow and ice are finally melting, so times are a-changing. Yep. And uh, Lester pleads for his innocence, and they, too, respond with a story because Fargo. wouldn't you? Yep. And this time it's the riddle of the fox, the cabbage, and the rabbit from the previous episode. And Lester gets it immediately because it's a logic problem. It's a stark contrast to the story about compassion and caring about other people. Mm-hmm. Which really, in thinking about that and the way you had put it when I wrote the note, just it reminds me a lot of a lot of people in the atheist community, which isn't the web, the podcast we're here to talk about. But <laughs> I, I've noticed kind of in our amongst our community, there are a lot of people who are much better at judging logic problems without any emotion or compassion whatsoever. So hopefully yeah. you find people who can do both. But I noticed... Um, when they're when the shots of the cars are going, they they made it a point to show kind of the bottoms of the cars and the tires, and you can see water dripping off of them and how muddy it is, and it's very on point for what time. Right now, we're recording this at the end of March, and that's that's this time of year to a T. Everything's just muddy and wet and disgusting, and um. I noticed that when he gets to when when they get to Lester's house and he goes inside, he's looking out the window at Kean Peel from inside of his house, and it just reminded me nothing specific, maybe the type of windows he had, but it just reminded me of what Sam Hess's house kind of looked like from the inside out. He was also surrounded by that wooded area, and you know, mm. just kind of a nice out in the woods. What I would think of as kind of a upper middle class rich person's house. Um, and it made me think Lester at this point has climbed up to the same social status that Sam had more or less in town. You know, he's an important guy now. People notice him. He's not getting pushed around by anyone. And at the same time, he's just become a total piece of shit, just like Sam has. So it's almost like he got to climb the social ladder like he wanted to, but not without becoming a total piece of shit in the process, just like Sam was. Yeah, uh, interesting. Wouldn't it be like total Lester if it actually was Sam Hess's house? Oh, totally. Because yes. <laughs> you know, w- without getting the insurance premium, uh-huh. uh, there's no way they were they could afford that house. Yeah. And I just think it would be the ultimate power dom move oh, to totally. just yeah. You know, oh, I, I I just moved into your house. Sorry, <laughs> like that would totally be something he it did. Definitely would. Uh, yeah, I don't think it was just because you know I noticed enough differences and. In- the location of the other houses and what's inside them. But yeah, it would have been totally Lester. I'm surprised he didn't try to do that. <laughs> uh, so Lester goes uh, back down to the basement and 
we see that he's going into Chaz's hunting box. Uh, Chaz is spelled with two Z's, so now I even I hate him even more. <laughs> like I, I know he got framed for murder, but I still fucking hate him. Yeah, so just so gross. And I, Chaz I love that Chaz's hunting gear is still kept just in a basement, in a box, yeah, in a wood like it's a great place to keep guns. Anyway. <laughs> It really is, and that comes back to bite him in the ass a little yep. bit. Uh, so out front, uh, one of my favorite scenes of the whole season, probably my favorite scene of the whole season, actually. Uh, Greta comes out to talk with her grandpa, and uh, Lou says he got shot in the hip at a traffic stop. And Greta, Greta asks if he's ever seen anything like this, and he says, only one other time. And it wasn't who was coming, but more like what. And Molly was four in this story. But six in season two, but otherwise they they pretty much nailed it. Um, and after hearing this, Greta goes back inside and comes out with a BB gun to sit next to him. And there is he's just like, "What you gonna do with that?" He's like, "I'll shoot his eye <laughs> out, and you can finish the job." And he just goes, "That's my girl." Yep. And it seems like much much like uh, Lou had a wife who was cu- truly cut out, but it was a different time. And then a daughter. It appears one day Greta may take over for Molly in the badass detective department. Yes, totally. And I felt like Lou just sitting there and experiencing that and seeing what Greta did must feel like he's getting a chance to see Molly grow up all over again. Because I'm sure as a single dad, he was grieving for his wife who was gone and trying to raise Molly by himself. And it seems like maybe this time he can watch that with Greta and not have so much pressure on him and really enjoy it and, you know, kind of have a closer relationship that maybe he didn't get to have with Molly because he wasn't there as much. And yeah, I'm sure he's just yeah. the greatest. He's got to be the coolest grandpa. He really mm. does. Uh, so then Molly is just so frustrated at having to sit out and direct from behind the scenes. Uh, she gets up and the one girl who is just so scared to be left alone, <laughs> which is understandable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm just, she tells him, tells her to lock the door, but, uh, I, I learned if a group shows up at a police station threatening violence, just send out Nick Offerman to get, negotiate them down. Yeah, where so. was he? Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, call forward. Uh, the, the, the camera angles are just so good at adding to the ominousness. Like Everything just becomes that much more terrifying with the way they film things. It's one of those really subtle things that I just love about this show. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, Key and Peel continue to pontificate whether or not this is a dream, and like season one can be defined by the one note that you hear when Malvo's about to come out. It's just like dumb, like just that note is like oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> and Malvo, the implied supernatural bringer of happenings, uh, they're about to take care of Key and Peel. Uh, the used car guy is taped to the wheel, and he's like, "I'm sorry." And they ask again if it's a dream, but they meet the serpent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, bye-bye, Key and Peel. Uh, thanks for coming. <laughs> and sad. much like the uh, office guy earlier from Reno, uh, we never actually see what happens to the, the guy in the car who begs for his life because he has a little girl now. Yeah, I noticed um, when when Melba's walking up behind them and you just you see that shot of Key and Peel standing there and Melba's behind them but they don't realize it and he's coming towards them it is just terrifying it's the way they shot it too is that you so clearly see him there and know that they don't and he's just very slowly mm-hmm. coming towards them but you know what he's going to do 
And at some point, I don't know if it's right when he pulls up into the driveway, but they show a close-up of the tailpipe on his car, and the water is completely frozen over, which Mm. I noticed because when he's pulling out of the police station, they made sure to do a close-up of near the tires on the cars, and the water was melting, you know, because it's becoming spring. In this scene, I paused it, just kind of stare at it again, and there's just chunks of frozen over ice on the tailpipe. So it was almost like the, oh. the water had refrozen by the time it got there or something. I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've referred to Lauren Malvo being a white walker mm-hmm. multiple times, but water's freezing. So yep. there we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's it's now uh, canon. No Lauren Malvo is a white walker. Yep. Totally, <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, so then Lester just continues going through his stuff, just throwing everything on the floor. Uh, he finds his trophy and has a moment where, like, he thought he had it all figured out and he just couldn't shut his fucking mouth. Mm-hmm. And he comes downstairs to find an empty car and blood trails. Uh, then Malvo breaks in the glass door while Lester once again calls the cops to beg for help. And I, I have to imagine he has a hotline at this point just because he's called so many times. <laughs> um, and where's Malvo's ma- ma- magical elevator cleanup skills he's leaving blood trails now like yeah, I didn't even get the point of like he drags the body behind the wood pile why like it's you're you're leaving blood trails everywhere you're not going to clean them up why are you even hiding the body and why such a bad hiding spot is behind the wood pile i don't even know what the point of that was seems very strange i think yeah i think maybe it was uh trying to set it up maybe look to look like the they killed each other maybe possibly i, mean, I suppose um, so then, um, Malvo breaks in, just follows the sound of the frantic call. Uh, he ends up walking right into the bear trap that was hidden beneath the clothes. Nice play, yeah. Lester. And Lester fires one shot and jams the gun because he didn't reload and left a gun in the basement. <laughs> so great move. Uh, Lester throws the trophy at him and breaks his nose for the third time. Yeah. And then Lester follows a blood trail out the door where he finds the FBI car is now missing. Uh, so I guess Malvo drove away in that and either uh, What's-His-Face got set free or drove into the wood pile. I don't know. Yeah, it was. I couldn't figure out how both of the cars were gone at the same time because Key and Peel had a car there and then... Um guy taped to the car had a car there so there were two cars there so if Melville drove away in one what happened to the other one i i must be missing something huge here but like yeah even i suppose Melville hit it before he came into the house to, but i can't i, can, I do why why are you hiding the car i don't know or the salesman got set free you know, and ah, just drove away interesting uh, so hmm. we we don't know, true. but I don't know. Uh, and interestingly enough, in a very roundabout way, the student overcomes the teacher because mm-hmm. uh, Lorne is the one who brought this out of Lester, and he eventually gets beaten by him. Yep, good point. So uh, then Malvo somehow drives home with a heavily damaged <laughs> leg. Uh, he uses a belt as a tourniquet. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And it's the MacGyver fix to a shattered leg, which is extremely graphic. Yeah. I just closed my eyes through most of it. I'm like Bill. Yeah. No thanks. <laughs> uh, 
this is, of course, a throwback to when Malvo told Wrench about a bear getting his legs stuck in a bear trap and then just getting out of it to go die in his own terms. Uh, and I guess Malvo isn't worried about open wounds or infection because there's an awful lot of blood and stuff that's not being covered up there. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> it won't matter yeah. soon. Oh, you, you got oh, a couple notes yeah. there. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing blood and broken legs, and it's ugh, anyway not paying attention. Um, I yeah, the the knife he's using when he does this is that curved knife from the beginning towards the beginning of the season when he's grabbing the office worker in Duluth, I think St. Cloud or did no, I can't remember, but dragging him down to the parking garage, and he's got that creepy round mm. knife that we were like, what is that about? It comes back here, so you see him use that again. Um, Good catch. And as he's, you know, he's limping around, he's trying to take care. He just looks like a wounded animal limping, mm-hmm. just like any animal caught in a bear trap would be. Just, you know, looks like he's almost given up, drags his tail. You know, I don't know. It's, again, I keep seeing yeah. all of these animal visuals. <laughs> well, I, I think you're supposed to. Yep. So then, then uh, Malvo sees a wolf outside with a very faint howl in the background. And who's there? Gus is there. <laughs> and he says he finally figured out his riddle, which is not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Molly did. Yep. And uh, Malvo just goes, and? <laughs> and Gus just shoots him three times. Um, Malvo survives, but just can't help but smile a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then Gus shoots him two more times, and it's finally over. Uh, this entire season was a series of riddles, stories, and paradoxes. Uh, makes sense that solving a riddle is how the pursuit of the killer ends. Yeah, I have noticed, of course, Malvo's sitting on a big animal fur as this happens. You know, he's got the wolf head over the fireplace, but on the couch he's sitting on is covered with, I don't know, the fur of a wolf or a bear or who knows. Mm. They all look the same to me, but yeah, yeah. Uh, then Gus, yeah, Gus, after shooting someone dead, finally remembers that he's Gus Grimley and starts getting scared again. <laughs> yeah. uh, s- similar to Lester's confrontation with Malvo, returning him to his antsy cowardice. Uh, then uh, Molly is in her cop car uh, and is surprisingly not the first on the scene. Uh, Gus is there with the other officers telling them everything. Uh Beautiful score callback to to the scene where Molly goes to Vern's house. Uh, that that little tune that they play is just so incredible. Mm. Um, and Molly walks in to see the body, head wound and all, and uh, Gus leads her to the briefcase and tells her to open it. And she hears the call, finally validating a year plus of everything. And Allison Tolman is just acting her ass off here. A year of frustration, sexism, violence, terror, everything. She was right all along, and she just finally gets that one moment of validation. Yeah, the her face acting, as I, they call it, I guess, <laughs> is mm-hmm. just amazing here. You know, she's you see her going through all of these emotions all at the same time. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so then... Meanwhile, Lester apparently decided because he didn't have a passport to go snowmobiling in the, the snowmobiling in the mountains of Montana. Yeah. Uh, interesting choice, mm-hmm. and also interesting how they somehow found him. Yeah. I guess maybe he thought he got away with it. Who knows? And yeah, just why? Why? I I get like I <clears throat> sorry. I mentioned somewhere later that 
This is actually a thing people do. Like, I've known plenty of dudes that go snowmobiling in Montana or hunting in Montana or doing that in other states. It's like, we live here in Minnesota where other people come to do this kind of thing, and so we have to go somewhere bigger to do it. So you've... There's a lot of people that take, you know, bear hunting trips or things like that to Montana. So I got I got that. What I didn't get was him just just randomly snowmobiling through the woods. I don't who knows. Who knows what Lester's doing ever. Yeah. And then the the, the cops are waiting for him and he flees. Uh he runs out onto a lake and of course a reference to the movie where the the hitman runs out onto a frozen lake, but instead of being shot, he falls through it, just disappears through frozen ice, and his hat is all that's remaining. Uh, Lester, somehow, despite living his whole life in Minnesota, doesn't know how to handle walking on ice. To be fair, neither do I. Like, if I were to attempt to walk on a frozen lake, I would drown as well, because I've just... Being outside in the cold is so terrible that I wouldn't even want to begin walking on the ice. But all I can notice is that terrible fucking hat from the beginning of the season. He managed to get rid of the hat during his cool phase. And now the hat's back. And he went and got another orange coat that's not exactly the same. But his overall look is back from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Molly gets the call, uh, learning what happened, as she seemed to a lot throughout the season. We just see her learning information. Mm-hmm. And... You know, just wait to hear what the divers turn up. Um, she returns to them playing Deal or No Deal while uh, the movie theme plays. And this is interesting. Uh, the movie theme in some form plays once a season. Uh, here, uh, the conversation between Lou and Ben in the last episode of season two and uh, when Nikki Swango dies in season three. Hmm. So uh, nice little Gosh, reference. Yeah. Uh, Gus says they're going to give him a citation for bravery. Uh <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and similar to how the uh, snowstorm scene ended, uh, Gus says the award should be for her. But Molly says she gets to be chief almost somberly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was th- the whole citation for bravery thing. I I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure a citation is like a ticket. Like it's he's right. thinking of commendation. So what's with the word citation? <laughs> I don't know. I thought maybe there's another use of it I'm not aware of, but that seemed weird. Citation for bravery. Um, maybe he's saying he got punished for doing police work when he wasn't oh, a police person. Be. I don't it know. It seems fair in Bemidji. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was just sarcasm. Like, it's just, oh, I got a citation for bravery. Mm-hmm. All I did was kill a murderer or whatever. Oh, um, God, so, so bitchy. Yeah. Uh, this is almost identical to how the movie ended. Uh, a bittersweet conversation at the family home. Everybody's changed irreparably because of it, and no one is really sure how to handle the world they just witnessed. Yeah, and I, as the credits came up, I just noticed this is usually when the credits come up, you've got a black background with the white text, and it was the opposite this time, I think, for the first time, hmm. unless I hadn't noticed it before, but they had a white background with black text. So just a nice little inversion at the end of the season. Yep, everything's been set right-ish, yep. <laughs> whatever. Uh, so that's season one, mm-hmm. and uh, we're hopefully recording a a season one recap with the Fargo Talks Fargo guys, uh, <laughs> with everybody being home. Hopefully we can get at least one of them. We just need Charpy Char- to answer the fucking messages, apparently. Yeah, was... But either way, he'll be there. I predict that this whole COVID-19 thing is going to 
produce a big boom in podcast content just because everyone's going to be at home. So we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. Yeah. Previously, when I've offered to produce people's podcasts, Mm -hmm. I'll get get a one or two every now Mm -hmm. and then. And then I put one post about it and I got like 12 (laughs) responses. So yeah, I think I think there's something to that there. I'm at home. I need something to do. Yeah. Yes. So uh, one more time for season one, the biggest That's So Minnesota moment. So unfairly, I put two things, but one of them I already mentioned, which was douche bros going to Montana to ride snowmobiles. Um, <laughs> it's it's not super common, but it's common enough that it, and it's usually the douchey guys. It's it's the ones that have too much money. It's the Chazes of the world. Chaz would be the guy yes. that with his buddies would take a trip to Montana once a year to go bear hunting and ride snowmobiles. So that is a common enough thing that it's, it's Minnesotan. Um, but my other thing was just Gus and Molly at the end and not at all making a big production out of what happened. Uh, and just mentoring the, mentioning the bravery thing and being chief almost in passing, just with no emotion, just as they're watching TV, you know, yeah, I get to be the chief. Like it's so Minnesota. Don't draw any attention to yourself. Don't, don't brag. Don't make a big deal. So, yeah. That's, that's yeah, Minnesota. Uh, Midwestern, Midwestern stoicism. Yep. Uh, mine is uh, the idealistic, unrealistic view of the world breaking down because suddenly <laughs> something affects them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is not at all relevant not, to what's going on no. right now. <laughs> no, you betcha. Uh, so the biggest, that's so not Minnesota moment. Um. So once again, I did two things, but it's the end of the season. So I'm, you know, I'm going to cut myself some slack. Uh, the first one was two black guys driving through town with a white guy in the back seat, and nobody calling the cops. Um, I just, I wrote, oh, racism, you're such a rascal. I'm sorry, but two black FBI, FBI agents, both in the front seat with a white guy in the back seat. There would at least be a few people staring and at least one or two would call the cops and be like, you better check yeah. this out. So, yeah, racism. Um, racism is very Minnesota. Not calling the cops on them would not be very Minnesota. But my other thing was just random wolves showing up out of nowhere, which I get is totally metaphorical and it's not meant to be realistic. But just so people outside of Minnesota realize this, wolves don't just show up in the middle of the road. It's it's not really a thing. I'm sure it's happened occasionally, but for one thing, wolves are pack animals, so you don't usually mm-hmm. get that one lone wolf standing in the road staring at you, much less more than once a season. So, yeah, we see lots and lots of deer in the road. Um, not many wolves. I actually uh, did see a wolf run across the road recently where, where uh, when were we were you? coming back from Ely. Oh, well, you were way, uh, way up, up there. in the. Oh yeah, that it was so big, and we were just like, "Oh shit, that's a wolf!" Because <laughs> uh, the uh, the International Wolf Center is up well, there, so we saw the the big tracking device on there. Okay, so. around there it happens. Yeah, <laughs> for yeah. the rest of the state, not so common. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mine was uh, Lester once again being the only one who called the cops after gunshots, which is not the first time that happened in this season, mm-hmm. but. I, re- I I now remember there was a silencer, but still, uh, nobody calling uh, the cops after gunshots, especially in the Fargo scene. Uh, just I don't well, know. the fact uh, that everybody's 
up in everybody's business and you'd think somebody at Lou's would have noticed just his car pulling up and sitting there or something. I don't know. In a small town, yeah. there's always somebody paying attention to something they shouldn't be. So, Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's it for season one. Um, we're going to get started with season two soon. Oh, and But first we're going to get the Fargo Talks Fargo guys on and we're going to recap season one. So. Yay. Uh, we're going to get a new perspective in there and have some fun with some people who reviewed the show as it was happening. And we'll see how uh, differently uh, we can reflect on can it. We just tell uh, them they're first... wrong about everything because that's normally that's my shtick. Oh. So, okay, yeah, perfect. yeah, of course. Yeah, for no reason. Why just, do you think I just, hired you? Know, you? <laughs> you're wrong. That's my whole plan. <laughs> there we yeah. go. So there we All go. Right. We, we finished a season. Fun. Can't wait till the recap. Yes. And then I noticed... This morning, I I actually couldn't remember this morning if I had watched see episode 10 or not for some reason. Like, I had already <laughs> taken all the notes. And then this morning, I thought, oh, I better watch that. And went, oh, wait, already. So when I clicked on Hulu, it said, you know, watch next episode, season two, episode one. And I got really excited for a moment. Like, yes, I get to watch. But then I thought, no, I better wait. So I'm going to wait till we're closer to recording for that episode, just so it's fresh in my mind. And yeah so, yeah i'm that's how old i am now i can't remember things i did two days ago <laughs> where i watched a whole episode and took notes well we will see you next time and uh hopefully we'll have at least bill on here uh maybe sharpie but either way we're gonna get at least one of them All on right. so there we go see you next time bye-bye sweet let me hit